This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of articular cartilage defects of the knee from the knee and sports section on orthobullets.com. Articular cartilage defects of the knee are a spectrum of disease entities from single focal defects to advanced degenerative disease of articular or hyaline cartilage. As far as the epidemiology, 5 to 10% of people over 40 years old have high-grade chondral lesions. As far as the location, in the setting of a chronic ACL tear, the anterior aspect of the lateral femoral condyle and posterolateral tibial plateau is where you will find an articular cartilage defect of the knee. In the setting of osteochondritis desiccans, 70% of lesions are found in the posterolateral aspect of the medial femoral condyle. As far as the pathophysiology, the mechanism of injury is either from acute trauma or chronic repetitive load, or the cause of the osteochondral defect is unknown. With respect to acute trauma or a chronic repetitive overload, impaction results in cartilage softening, fissuring, flap tears, or delamination. With respect to pathomechanics, impaction forces greater than 24 megapascals will disrupt normal cartilage. As far as cellular biology, cartilage injuries have limited spontaneous healing and a propensity to worsen over time. With respect to the anatomy, please listen to the Articular Cartilage episode of the podcast for a full review of articular cartilage basic science. Moving on to the classification of articular cartilage defects of the knee, the two to know are the Outer Bridge Arthroscopic Grading System and the IRCS or the International Cartilage Repair Society Grading System. The Outer Bridge Arthroscopic Grading System is broken up into five grades. Grade 0 is normal cartilage. Grade 1 is softening and swelling. Grade 2 is superficial fissures. Grade 3 are deep fissures without exposed bone. And grade 4 is exposed subchondral bone. In the IRCS grading system, this is also divided into five grades. Grade 0 is normal cartilage. Grade 1 is nearly normal with superficial lesions. Grade 2 is abnormal with lesions that extend less than 50% of the cartilage depth. Grade 3 is severely abnormal with greater than 50% of cartilage depth involved. And grade 4 is severely abnormal where lesions are through the subchondral bone. As far as the presentation of articular cartilage defects of the knee, Patients commonly present with a history of precipitating trauma, and some defects are found incidentally on MRI or arthroscopy. Patients may be asymptomatic or have localized knee pain. Patients may complain of effusion, motion deficits, or mechanical symptoms, for example, catching and instability. Physical exam should involve inspection and assessment of motion. Inspection should look for background factors that predispose to the formation of articular defects, for example, joint laxity, malalignment, and compartment overload. With respect to motion, you should assess range of motion, ligamentous stability, and gait. As far as imaging, radiographs are indicated to rule out arthritis, bony defects, and to check alignment. Recommended views include a standing AP, lateral, and merchant views. Optional views include a semi-flexed 45-degree PA view and a long leg alignment view. A semi-flexed 45-degree PA view is the most sensitive for early joint space narrowing. Long leg alignment views determine the mechanical axis. CT scans are indicated to better evaluate bone loss. As far as findings, a CT scan can be used to measure the TTTG distance, otherwise known as the tibial tubercle to the trochlear groove distance, when evaluating the patellofemoral joint. An MRI is the most sensitive for evaluating focal defects. As far as views, a fat-suppressed T2 proton density T2 fast spin echo or FSE offers improved sensitivity and specificity over standard sequences. 
the degemeric or delayed gadolinium-enhanced MRI for cartilage and T2 mapping are evolving techniques to evaluate cartilage defects and repair. As far as other studies, laboratory studies may be used to rule out inflammatory disease. Treatment of articular cartilage defects of the knee can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes rest, NSAIDs, physiotherapy, and weight loss, which is the first line of treatment when symptoms are mild. Viscosupplementation, corticosteroid injections, or an unloader brace have controversial indications but may provide symptomatic relief, but healing of the defect is unlikely. Operative options include a debridement slash chondroplasty versus reconstruction techniques. This is indicated for failure of non-operative management or for acute osteochondral fractures resulting in full thickness loss of cartilage. With respect to technique, treatment is individualized and there is no one best technique for all defects. The decision-making algorithm is based on several factors. Patient factors include age, skeletal maturity, low versus high demand activities, and the ability to tolerate extended rehabilitation. Defect factors include size of the defect, location, contained versus uncontained, and the presence or absence of subchondral bone involvement. The basic algorithm for a debridement slash chondroplasty versus a reconstruction technique may vary depending on published data. The two major considerations are ephemeral condyle defect and a patellofemoral defect. With respect to ephemeral condyle defect, you will typically correct malalignment, ligament instability, and or meniscal deficiency. Make sure to measure the size, so for a femoral condyle defect less than 4 square centimeters, you will typically do a microfracture or an osteochondral autograft transfer, which is palliative if the patient is older slash low demand. For a femoral condyle defect greater than 4 square centimeters, an osteochondral allograft transplantation or autologous chondrocyte implantation is carried out. With respect to a patellofemoral defect, make sure to address patellofemoral maltracking and malalignment. Just like in a femoral condyle defect, in a patellofemoral defect, make sure to measure the size of the defect, so less than 4 square centimeters will typically call for a microfracture or an osteochondral autograft transfer, and a patellofemoral defect greater than 4 square centimeters will call for an autologous chondrocyte implantation or microfracture if the patient is older slash low demand. Now, let's talk about some of these surgical techniques in a bit more detail. With respect to debridement slash chondroplasty, the goal is to debride loose flaps of cartilage as removal of loose chondral fragments may relieve mechanical symptoms, and there is short-term benefit for this option in 50-70% to 70% of patients. The benefits of this option include that it's a simple arthroscopic procedure and patients have a faster rehabilitation. As far as limitations, the problem is exposed subchondral bone or layers of injured cartilage. In addition, there's an unknown natural history of progression after treatment. Moving on to fixation of unstable fragments, for this option you will need an osteochondral fragment with adequate subchondral bone. The technique will involve debriding the underlying non-viable tissue and consider drilling the subchondral bone or adding local bone graft. Finally, you will fix with absorbable or non-absorbable screws or devices. As far as benefits of this option, best results come from unstable osteochondritis desiccans or OCD fragments in patients with an open physis. Limitations of this option are lower healing rates in skeletally mature patients, and it involves non-absorbable fixation with headless screws that should be removed at 3-6 to six months. Moving on to marrow stimulation techniques, the goal of this option is to allow access of marrow elements into the defect to stimulate the formation of reparative tissue. This includes microfracture, abrasion chondroplasty, and osteochondral drilling. With respect to the microfracture technique, the defect is prepared with stable vertical walls and the calcified cartilage layer is removed. 
Awls are used to make multiple perforations through the subchondral bone 3 to 4 millimeters apart. Protected weight-bearing and continuous passive range of motion, or CPM, machines are used while mesenchymal stem cells mature into mainly fibrocartilage. The benefits of this option include that it's cost-effective, single-stage and arthroscopic, and best results are seen for acute, contained cartilage lesions less than 2 by 2 centimeters. The limitations of this option include that there are poor results for larger defects that are greater than 2 centimeters by 2 centimeters. This option also does not address bone defects and requires limitation of weight-bearing for 6 to 8 weeks. Moving on to osteochondral autograft slash mosaioplasty, the goal of this option is to replace a cartilage defect in a high weight-bearing area with normal autologous cartilage and bone plugs from a lower weight-bearing area. Chondrocytes remain viable, bone graft is incorporated into subchondral bone, and the overlying cartilage layer heals. With respect to the technique, a recipient socket is drilled at the site of the defect. Then a single or multiple small cylinders of normal articular cartilage with underlying bone are cored out from lesser weight-bearing areas such as the periphery of the trochlea or the notch. Plugs are then press-fit into the defect. As far as limitations of this option, size constraints and donor site morbidity limit usage of this technique. Matching the size and radius of curvature of the cartilage defect is difficult, and fixation strength of the graft initially decreases with the initial healing response. Therefore, weight-bearing should be delayed for three months. The benefits of this option include that autologous tissue is used, it's cost-effective, it's single-stage, and it may be performed arthroscopically. As far as osteochondral allograft transplantation, the goal of this option is to replace the cartilage defect with live chondrocytes in mature matrix along with the underlying bone. Fresh refrigerated grafts are used which retain chondrocyte viability. This option may be performed as a bulk graft fixed with screws or shell grafts which are fixed with dowels. With respect to the technique, match the size and radius of curvature of the articular cartilage with the donor tissue, and then a recipient socket is drilled at the site of the defect. An osteochondral dowel of the appropriate size is cored out of the donor, and the dowel is press-fit into place. The benefits of this option include its ability to address larger defects, you can correct significant bone loss, and it's also useful in revision of other techniques. As far as the limitations of this option, there's limited availability and high cost of donor tissue, and also live allograft tissue carries a potential risk of infection. Moving on to autologous chondrocyte implantation, or ACI, this option is cell therapy with the goal of forming an autologous hyaline-like cartilage. The technique involves arthroscopic harvest of cartilage from a lesser weight-bearing area, and then in the lab, chondrocytes are released from matrix and are expanded in culture. The defect is prepared, and chondrocytes are then injected under a periosteal patch sewn over the defect during a second surgery. The benefits of this option are that it may provide a better histologic tissue than marrow stimulation, long-term results are comparable to microfracture in most series, and this option includes regeneration of autologous tissue, and this option can address larger defects. The limitations of this option, however, is that it must have full-thickness cartilage margins around the defect. It also involves open surgery, a two-stage procedure, and prolonged protection is necessary to allow for maturation. Moving on to patellar cartilage unloading procedures, these include options like the McKay and the Fulkerson techniques. A McKay procedure is a tibia tubercle anteriorization. It's indicated only for distal pole lesions. Make sure to only elevate one centimeter or else you risk skin necrosis. Contraindications include superior patellar arthrosis, 
so make sure you scope before you perform the surgery. A Fulkerson alignment surgery is a tibial tubercle anteriorization and medialization. The indications are controversial, but they have traditionally been lateral and distal pole lesions, as well as an increased Q angle. Contraindications also include superior medial patellar arthrosis, just as in the McKay technique, so make sure you scope before you perform the surgery. And another contraindication to a Fulkerson alignment surgery is skeletal immaturity. Finally, let's talk about matrix-associated autologous chondrocyte implantation. In this option, cells are cultured and embedded in a matrix or a scaffold. The matrix is then secured with a fibrin glue or sutures. The benefits of this option is that it's the only FDA-approved cell therapy for cartilage in the United States of America. This option includes the ability to perform the procedure without suturing, and it may be performed arthroscopically. The limitations of a matrix-associated autologous chondrocyte implantation is that it's a two-stage procedure, and it's relatively expensive. That's all for this review about articular cartilage defects of the knee. Hopefully that was helpful. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.